don't, you know, bury your head in the sand when it comes to talking about money, because if you do that, chances are you're going to lose out on opportunities, on like on a lot of things. So have the discussions. They're hard, but have them. This is a show about creative people and their creative practices. It's your weekly reminder that you are not alone in figuring out how to do the creative work that matters to you. Welcome to The Used Key. I'm your host, Ray Kess. This season, we're talking about money. And today, I have the pleasure and privilege of speaking with Tony Cunningham. Hi, Tony. Hi, Ray. How are you doing? Good. So I have folks introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? Sure, for sure. Uh, my name is Tony Cunningham. I am currently a grad student in film studies. I'm also a screenwriter and a fledgling filmmaker, and I worked in marketing for a little over the last decade. I'm not currently, but you know, COVID. Uh, so that's kind of that's kind of what I do. Mm. And before we jump in, what are your pronouns? She, her. Great, thank you. Mm-hmm. So, as you know, we're going to be talking about money. Yes. And your creative practice. And before we get there, I would love to know a little bit more about how money shaped your childhood. I grew up. Well, let's say this. I'm adopted. Um, and I the the family that I was born into was working class, blue collar Connecticut. But I grew up in a black family in an all-white neighborhood in Michigan that was in the suburbs. And my my dad did very well for himself. So I never wanted for anything. I never needed anything. We were an upper upper middle class family. So Money was not something that I thought about as a child because I didn't need to. As an adult, that has changed <laughs> because mm-hmm. I no longer have my parents' money. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think it it shaped me in that I was probably a little bit spoiled. And when I had to start supporting myself, especially as an artist, I had to very much deal with and reconcile my relationship with money and with what it is that I, how I want to live. And I still reconcile that every day. Like, don't ask me how much money I spend on DoorDash these days. Like, you know what I mean? So I won't go there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And so can you tell me a little bit more about what your creative practice looks like now? Sure. So now I said that I'm a a screenwriter and a filmmaker. I've, I've only shot one film so far and that was in 2018. And it, it, I put it into festivals and stuff like that in 2019. But other than that, I'm a screenwriter more than, more than anything else. So I had hoped during this lockdown that my, my practice would be, it would flourish. That did not happen because at least for most of it did not happen. I think being someone who I I suffer from anxiety and depression. So this year has been maybe not the easiest for the creative mind. I think some people have had, some people have been able to kind of take the, a time that they've had and, and build it into something. The first six or seven months of quarantine, I was not able to do that. Like I started, I started a podcast. I, you know, watched all these movies. I started doing some other things, but I wasn't writing. Um, It wasn't until recently that uh, I've been able to get my brain to be in a place that would allow my creative process for writing, which a lot of times is watching TV, watching movies, seeing how things are structured, seeing how characters are developed going for walks. I walk my dog every day for, you know, an hour, hour and a half, two hours, and kind of just thinking about what it is that I want to write. I also 
like, well, this is going to sound a little crazy, but I sometimes write in my dreams. So I, I don't always have really clear and crazy dreams, but when I do, I tend to remember them. So I'll wake up and write it down in my journal. So the, the pilot that I just finished writing two weeks ago was something that I dreamt about five years ago. So that's, so that's where it starts a lot of times. My ideas a lot of times start from my dreams. And then it takes me years to actually plot out how the story is going to work. And then once I have the plot out, I can get it written within, you know, a couple months. But that's essentially how it works. That's so neat. Yeah. <laughs> Dream worlds are cool, man. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. If you, can find, if you can find the power to harness what's happening in your head when you're asleep, I highly recommend it. <laughs> and was that like a process for you? Or is that just like a happy thing that happens? Like, are you a lucid dreamer? So... Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I've not, I've always had pretty vivid dreams. And, and the ones that are extremely vivid are the ones that tend to stay with me in a way that I want to make something out of them. I think it's also maybe a way to kind of deal with the dreams as well. Like the first, the first extremely vivid dream I remember having, it was a recurring dream that I had when I was a kid. I've got two older brothers and they were very good students and I was not at all. And I would have a, this reoccurring dream that we were the three contestants on Jeopardy. And like, I'd know the answer, but every time I tried to like click in, they'd already clicked in. So I just started feeling worse and worse and worse. And then final jeopardy, I'd get the answer wrong. And then the floor would open up and I would like, you know, fall into a black hole. That scene, that dream has made its way into my feature, which uh, I wrote last two years ago. And that was a dream that I had when I was, you know, 12, 13, that I would have recurring. So it took that many years for me to figure out how to actually make something like that work in a story. Recently, the last five years or so, my my dream world has gotten a little a little intense, and there's been some. Um, I don't know if, how much you know about like astral travel during dream worlds, um, a little bit. But it's essentially it depends on your belief structure, so we don't need to get too far into it. But it's essentially kind of leaving the plane that your body is in and, and playing around in the other the other planes. And I've had a couple of those dreams, and those are those can actually be really disturbing and really scary, not, not in that they're nightmares, but in that they are so real that even when you wake up, you were like, no, that wasn't a dream. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, so those st- tend to stick with me as well. And I've, I've been able to mold some of that stuff into, into stories as well. That is so, so neat. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a much more exciting life than my, my dream life is much more exciting than my real life. <laughs> That's fair. So how does money influence your creative practice now as a filmmaker and screenwriter? I try, I try to not let it. And this year it hasn't really just because we can't go anywhere. But if I'm being completely honest during normal times, I don't like to write at home. And I've even set up, I've set up an office, you know what I mean? So, and that's, that's probably money too. Like I put together an office, I found a room in my house and I was like, I need a place where... I'm not distracted by the TV. I'm not distracted by the dog. I'm not distracted by the windows. You know what I mean? So if I'm being honest, there is, there is some bougie stuff <laughs> going on there for me to be able to write. I need a space. If it's going to be in my house, I need a space that it's only for writing. But if I'm not writing in my house, I like to be out in a, a, either a bar or a coffee house. Also, as a screenwriter, you know, there's specific software that typically most screenwriters use and it's not cheap. Final draft is not cheap and you don't have to use it. There are, you know, free uh, options like Celtics is a free option. So it does, it does 
I'll put it this way. It's like, I don't know if you exercise. I only do it on occasion, but <laughs> I am always like, if I buy new shoes, I'll want to go for a run. Or if I buy a new yoga pants, I'll, you know, spend more time stretching. Like, and that might just be the way my brain works, but it's kind of the same thing for me for writing. It's almost like you have to tempt, like bribe yourself to sit down and get it done. So yeah, it's there. There is a money aspect to my, to my process. Yeah, totally. So as you and I both know, money is never just about money. And I think you, you kind of touched on this in the, just the setting up a space and those sorts of like creative requirements. Are there any other factors that influence your ability to make money doing the creative work that you do? Yeah. So it's such an interesting time to be having this conversation just because of, because it is COVID, you know, but I, I still, I mean, I work full time or I did work full time. I got laid off due to COVID. So currently I'm not working. Currently I'm in school, but you know, for the last 10 plus years, I worked full time in marketing. You know, I was a social media manager, director of social media by the time I got to my last job. And a lot of times you work nine to five, but then when you get to a certain level of, you know, the company, even after five, when you're at home, you're still getting text messages, you're still checking your email, you're still doing all that stuff, but you need the job so that you could have the money to pay the bills, (laughs) you know, because for me, screenwriting, I'm not there yet where it's paying for things. Like, you know, there are a couple of things that I did so far during quarantine with some other women filmmakers or female identifying filmmakers that made some money, you know, and, and which is great, but you know, it's like a, it's a one-off it's gig, it's gig work essentially. And I'm one of those people that because of the way I was raised, uh, it was no art's great, but that's, that's for after work. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's not, that's not how you make your money. That's not your full-time job. So I've been operating off of that belief structure for a very long time. And it isn't, it hasn't been until recently that I've been trying to kind of break those walls down a little bit. So definitely just having to, having to have a corporate job in order to pay the bills and live the lifestyle that I grew accustomed to, that I'm comfortable in, that I kind of touched on a little bit at the very beginning makes the writing harder because the time to write is not there. You get home from work and you're exhausted. And the last thing you want to do is look at a computer, you know? So anybody that can do that, I mean, it's a struggle and and power to you because there are days that I can and there's days where I'm like, fuck, no, dude, I'm going to watch The Voice for four hours, you know? Like, <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. I appreciate you saying the like lifestyle piece because I think that is, I'm, I'm not a fan of the like starving artist narrative or the, yeah, you know? Yeah, it feels unfair, the starving yeah. artist narrative. You know what I mean? It feels like it, people that's, people that, have the belief structure that you're not an artist unless you have given everything up and you're on your last penny. Like I like that's unfair. Why do why why do artists have to be? Why do they always have to be down their luck? Why do they always have to be in the hole? Why can't you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't I don't like that narrative either. <laughs> Let's wind back the clock a moment. Yeah. What is the most creative way that you've made money? Creative as in my craft or creative as in down on your luck and struggling and you need to find $20 to go grocery shop. However (laughs) you want to define that experience. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll give an answer for both. There, There were times in my 20s where 
I was not a starving artist by any means, but I would want to go to the bar and not have enough money to go to the bar. So I would, um, I would sell back my books. I'd go find like the used bookstores and sell back my books. And I thought that that's an interesting way to fund your night at the bar. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but as far as, as creativity, as far as my craft, you know, over, this is something that I would not have thought that I would do, but over this quarantine, I belong to a group called final girls, which is a, you know, female identifying film professionals in Metro Detroit. And we were asked to work on some PSAs for the democratic party prior to the general election. And I've never worked in, it's kind it was kind of commercial, but kind of documentary. Like it was a very odd space that I'd never really worked in before. And it was a lot of found footage, which I'd never really, you know, done before. So I'm, I do narrative stuff. I'm fiction, you know, but I was like, I, we're in the middle of a court. Like, what else am I going to do? And this is a great way to kind of learn stuff, learn how to do some producing, learn how to, you know, clear licensing for images, like all that kind of stuff that I didn't really know how to, not that I didn't know how to do, but that I hadn't done uh, professionally before. So we ended up doing, I personally think worked on, I don't know, a handful of them, but I think we ended up doing like 20 videos. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot. And it was all super fast paced and, and a whole bunch of different languages. But you know, at the end of the day, it did really, really well. We got over, I think we got like 3 million views, something crazy on all the videos. So, um, and that was something that I was super proud of because in the moment of sitting at home on your couch, because you're, you know, essentially confined to your home, <laughs> um, I was able to find a way to help felt like I was doing something and doing it in a way that I had never done before. So I thought that that was, maybe that's probably a good answer for, for that question. Yeah. So neat. So on the flip side of that coin, what's the most creativity killing way that you've made money? Oh God, my nine to five job. <laughs> like it just, <laughs> so I, I worked in marketing as social media, um, social media manager. And I, social media is a, a virus. It's bad. And I have been wanting to get out of that for years, especially these last four years. But once, you know, I've been working in it for over 10 years and it's, it's hard to kind of break, break away at that point. But, you know, I spend my, oh, I did spend all of my days trying to figure out a way to put messages in front of people who don't want messages. And, and it feels aggressive and it feels not impersonal, but just, it's just, it, it feels dirty. And I was starting to struggle with that more and more and more. So, yeah, and I had a real problem with it and it was uh, crushing my spirit and making me very, very, I mentioned I'm already an anxious person, but day, day by day, it was making me very, very anxious and very, very stressed. And all of that made me very, very tired. Uh, you know what I mean? And yeah, ended up, I ended up in the hospital uh, last year due to it from a massive panic attack. and. Luckily, I don't do that anymore now. I, I don't work there anymore. I was laid off because of because of COVID, because of quarantine. But it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yes, the most creative killing definitely was was working in social media for the past 13 years. Yeah. I believe. <laughs> this is why I'm getting off those apps. I know. I saw your I saw your Facebook post. I'm like, I'm gonna tell her this story because I feel like she'll understand. <laughs> I do. Also, I'm sorry you had a panic attack and ended up in the hospital. Oh, well, thank you for that. I've learned to breathe and drink water. (laughs) 
two very important things. <laughs> so simple. Yet so yeah. effective. It's so effective. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't know. Bodies are good for that in that they're just like, and you're done. And you're done. Exactly. And that was, and that was essentially it. It was the stress from the job, which was very, very high. But then also uh, the year prior in 2018, I had won um, a fellowship uh, across the arts in Detroit. And with that fellowship, I made a film with the the money that I won from it or part of the money. But what came with it was the ability and opportunity to do all of these other things. And I was like, I don't want to miss anything. So I was saying yes to everything. And I had been saying yes to everything for a full year. And I was running on just fumes, you know, Um, and my body was like, okay, you're not going to stop. We're we're stopping you. (laughs) Essentially, my body stopped me. Yeah. So I learned a good lesson, you know, which was great. So yeah. You have, you have, you have limits. You are human. (laughs) I may not want to have them, but I do. (laughs) Very real. Yeah. Yeah. So are you able to support yourself financially right now through your creative work? Oh no, not through my creative work. No, that is the goal. I wanted that to be the goal by the time I turned 40, I turned 40 this year and I have not made it. Although I am able to make some money through my creative work, it's not enough to completely support myself. So I've made strides there but I haven't completely met that goal yet. But that's why that's why there's been this nine to five. So what I'm doing now though, is I'm back in school, I'm in grad school and not working. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so it's a very different turn. And I have, been, I have been able to make some money to, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? That's not my, it's not how I'm making all of my money, but some of it uh, mm-hmm. with those, like the PSAs that I was talking about or, you know, other small projects like that that go into, I have an LLC. And so I've been, the money that I make through my creative work has been going into that. So I'm not living off of it. I'm trying to actually make a bit of a bucket for myself there for the company. Typically I would have to be working right now. And as I mentioned in the beginning, my, my family is not struggling. So they have been helping me since I got laid off. That's great. Yeah. But I'm, I'm lucky in that. I mean, a lot of a lot of people don't have that and I'm aware of that. So, so when it, when it comes down to it, I know very well that I, I probably should not be in school and should have been looking for another job after I got laid off. But yeah, I got, I got lucky with my family and they knew that I needed a break <laughs> as well. So they were willing to help support me until I'm you know ready to go back to work. And so grad school, is that like part of like, what's sort of the, how are you, the how does reasoning? that fit within? Yeah. Your sort of <laughs> sure. life plan. Yes. So, so essentially my overall goal is to be a writer director, to be a filmmaker. The likelihood of that happening is small just because the entertainment industry is very difficult to get into. That does not mean that I'm not still trying. I'm very much, very much trying. There's some programs that I'll tell you about as well that I, that I think are kind of interesting that I'm hoping will help me get there. In the meantime, I don't want to work in marketing anymore. I don't want to work in social media anymore. And I needed a way out of that. Um, for my own sanity, for my own health. So I got the opportunity. I mentioned a whole bunch of opportunities that came from Kresge. One of those opportunities was to teach at uh, CCS, uh, College for the Creative Studies in Detroit. So I taught a class in 2019 called Creative Visualization there for their freshmen. And I loved it. And I have always been terrified of public speaking. I hate public speaking. I don't like people expect like sitting there expectantly waiting for me to say something. Obviously, I've gotten over that, hence this podcast. Um, and a lot of what got me over that, honestly, was teaching. Because when I first went in there that first day of, of school, I was terrified. 
But by the end of the semester, I was like, this is a lot of fun. These kids are great. I can actually have some sort of influence on what they're doing. You know what I mean? So I decided, well, while I work at becoming a filmmaker, if I don't want to do marketing, I want to change my career path completely, then I'm going to teach. But in order to teach, I had, I have a bachelor's, but in order to teach at the college level, like I can adjunct already because I just did, but you know, master's PhD, if you want to be on the tenure track. So I'm thinking ahead enough that if I have to actually start a career in education, I'd like to have the degrees that would allow me to do that on a tenure track. So I went back to school to study film so that I can hopefully become a college professor in film until I break it big at Hollywood. <laughs> That's the plan. So what do you wish you had known about money earlier on in your creative practice? How to manage it. I'm, I still struggle with, with managing money and I've never been good at math. Math has always been my like Achilles heel. I think probably like a good amount of creatives, <laughs> math maybe may not be their favorite thing. So for me, you know, balancing a ledger or keeping track of like all of that kind of stuff is really difficult. But if you want to be an artist and you want to make money being an artist, it's important to be able to do that or to hire someone that you super trust to do that. But like, you're not going to start out at a point where you're able to hire, you know, a financial person. So I think it's important that you know how to do that yourself. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. But I made my, my first film uh, the end of 2018. So I had to put together the most comprehensive budget that I've ever had to do in my life and keep track of, you know, I'm paying these people. I'm, I'm their boss. This, their money that I'm, that they're getting paid is coming from my bank account, you know? So it was really important for me to figure that out so that I could, you know, make sure that all of these other creatives and artists that were doing work, you know, to help me see my vision were being treated and paid in the manner with which I thought they should be and that they thought they should be. So that was a huge learning experience, but it was also one that I will keep with me because wanting to be a filmmaker, that's something I'm going to have to continue to, to figure out. So that's what I wish I had learned was how to manage money. In the filmmaking process, I do not know this. Who puts together the budget? Like, is that like the producer directors? Typically it's the producers. Yeah. Um, because my film was small, you know, it was a 13, 11 minute short. It cost, it cost, I want to say 13 grand, I think to make it. And I had two producers. It was me and two other producers. But when I first started, before I hired on producers, I had never made a movie before. So I was just trying to get everything. And I, you know, I, I've worked in corporate America for 15 years. So I was like, I have to have everything in order before I start hiring people on, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which I came to find out maybe I was doing too much work up front and I should have waited for some of the producers to come on. But I put together, I put together the budget essentially, essentially by myself. And then when my other two producers came on, I would I would went over it with them and we kind of made some adjustments. But typically, yeah, it's gonna be your producers. But with independent film, a lot of times the director is a producer or the writer is a producer or whatever. So yeah. Whoever, someone. Exactly. <laughs> So my final question for you is, what advice do you have for other creatives, whether filmmakers or screenwriters or anyone, when it comes to money and doing work that they love? So I would say, if, if you are a creative that is both working and working on your practice, the two things, make sure that the work that you're doing to support yourself 
is not killing your creative, uh, you know, soul, your creative center. It's hard to say because it's hard to pull away from, you know, a $50,000 a year job that pays all your bills because when you get home, you don't want to write. It's hard to pull away for that reason. But if your goal is to make money from your creative, you know, talents, you, you, you need to, your brain needs to be free enough to experience the, you know, stories or the art that you want to put out into the world. And if, if you're being suppressed by your day-to-day life and you have the ability to make that change, even though it's scary, please make that change. That's my advice. Thank you for that. That is wonderful. Yeah, you're welcome. So is there anything else you want to talk about? So I've sort of asked all my questions. Floor is yours. Is there any other thing you want to talk about in terms of money and your creative practice? You know, I don't think so. I think it's just, I got, I've gotten to this point now where I'm, I'm really trying to make strides with my career in the arts and money is something that so many artists shy away from talking about. So thank you very much for having these discussions because I think it's super important. So I guess the only other thing that I would say is don't, don't, you know, bury your head in the sand when it comes to talking about money, because if you do that, chances are you're going to lose out on opportunities on like on a lot of things. So have the discussions they are hard, but have them because other people are having them and they're getting places. And I know for a lot of artists, money is, you know, quote unquote, the devil, but at the end of the day, you got to live. So, so have the conversations. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes to that. It's so true. I um I started out in theater and then I dropped out and my life fell apart and re-enrolled, <laughs> you know, the usual. And, you then did, I, yeah. <laughs> and then I went to art school. Like I did a textile design degree, which is the degree I got. And then my life fell apart again. I also ended up in the hospital because my body was like, you need to stop working. Oh, we have such week. similar little moments. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. Thank you. But like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Like where it's just like, oh, oh, this is happening. Cool. Like, yeah, I guess I am done. Sure. Thanks. Yeah. But I had Douglas Copeland spoke, which I'm actually really pissed off because Margaret Atwood spoke the year before the year I was supposed to graduate. And then I took another year and it was Douglas (laughs) Copeland, who's like a Canadian author. But essentially his whole thing was like, you've been living in a bubble and you're about to like exit that bubble and it's going to become hell. And he's like, Mm. but if you get to you know, your thirties, your forties, and you're still doing it, then you're doing something right. Like so much of it is just being able to stay in the game. And so much of that is money, right? Like it's just like having, you know, whether you're, it's like, it still can be like paycheck to paycheck or having families, but like just that, like, yeah, you got to address the money or just being like one of the last people standing, which seems to be like so often who ends up getting to do art long-term. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it as far as like a, like a longitudinal, you know, uh, moment, but that, that makes sense. And actually feels good to hear as someone who has recently turned 40, I am going to take that and I'm going to run with it. I love that. (laughs) Do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're doing it right. Like this is, this is being a creative, like it's, it is, you do it for the love. I mean, I know that, you know, money is definitely part of it, which is why we're talking about it, but you do do it for the love of doing it. And for me, it's one of those things that when you feel when something, something that you do makes you feel good. And it also kind of gives you a reason to be confident, a reason to believe in yourself. And and that's on besides the money, that's the other reason. And if that's what you're aiming for, if that's what keeps you going, then that's why you got to do it. Even if you're, you know, 70 and nobody's reading your work, who cares? If you love it, do it. <laughs> yes. 
Well, thank you for being here, Tony. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. The Used Key is hosted and produced by me, Ray Kess. If you have thoughts or questions about this episode that you would like to share, head over to the URL in the show description and let me know what you're thinking about. And just a reminder that money is a really personal topic for all of us. So if you're going to comment on today's show, please do so in a way that is thoughtful and respectful. Thank you for being a part of the conversation and for showing up to do the creative work that matters to you. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay bright. Like we do it, like we do it.